0: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Something incredible is happening. Over this past decade, more people than ever before have been experiencing profound spiritual awakenings. Some people are discovering this path through doing yoga. Some are meditating daily. Some are learning about herbalism or trying plant medicines. Some are reconnecting with the intelligence of nature and the natural rhythms of the earth. And some are communicating with a higher consciousness. But they all have one thing in common. They are waking up to a much more radiant and connected universe. For the first time in modern history, this is no longer fringe stuff. We're in the middle of a global shift that is transforming the planet. And it is the reason we created Evolver to support the profound awakening that is happening now. More than anything, we all need a place to meet and join forces with each other. And so on Friday, April 5th, we are officially launching Evolver Awakening, a conscious community and learning platform to provide the support we all need to come together and guide each other in our collective awakening. And we aren't alone. The biggest names and most brilliant minds that Evolver has worked with closely over the years are on board and enthusiastic to do something that's never been done before. Shamans, energy workers, psychedelic pioneers, psychics, holistic practitioners, leading visionaries and activists are joining together to share their wisdom through illuminating online video courses. In the first few weeks alone, you'll see classes by luminaries like Hank Wesselman, Mitch Horowitz, Itzhak Beery, Ellen Goldberg, Dean Radin, Alberto Vialdo, Paul Selig, Sandra Ingerman, John Perkins, and more. And that's not all. We have exclusive lectures an ever-expanding catalog of online classes and live, interactive video community calls with amazing teachers and artists and writers like Kim Kranz, Adam Ellenboss, Annie Oak, Dean Radin, and so many other fantastic teachers. It's an ever-growing stream of powerful consciousness content. To find out more, go to evolverawakening.com and join us for when we open the doors on Friday, April 5th together the light gets brighter
1: welcome to the evolver sponsored by the alchemist kitchen hosted by ken
0: jordan the fabric of the universe is porous energy and information flow in a myriad of ways that we're only beginning to learn to measure in a lab from the quirkiness of quantum physics to the spookiness of psi phenomena moments come when we know things we can't possibly know, like who's on the phone when it's still in your pocket vibrating, even though reality is not supposed to work that way. We live with a popular notion that each of us is a soft machine built from tissue and bones that miraculously hosts an awareness we call our mind, which is an accidental product of brain pistons pumping. My body wanders about doing its thing, independent of yours and of all the other stuff all the other soft machines and dead matter that surrounds it the only way i can truly understand how you feel or what goes on inside your mind is if you send me a memo otherwise we wander through existence in isolation that's supposed to be the serious scientific version of material existence of course there's a vast distance between the officially sanctioned view of what it means to be human and how we actually behave You know things about people around you without them having to explain their inner workings in detail. You take actions based on that knowing all the time. We call it being sensitive or intuition or just having a heart. But for some of us, that knowing about the private experiences of others can be particularly acute. There's a growing acknowledgement that some people have a finely tuned antenna. We call them empaths. What differentiates an empath from someone like me, who's just kind of empathetic, is the ability to pick up the deep feelings of another person and sense them bodily. It's a physical thing. If another person is suffering, feeling anxiety or pain, an empath can find herself resonating with that same intense experience, even though the suffering doesn't belong to her. We've had some empaths on the show before, They've talked about what it's like to grow up with this ability without knowing fully what it is or how to create safe boundaries in order to protect themselves. It's not a simple thing to be born highly sensitive to all the energies that circulate around you and that you have difficulty distinguishing from feelings that are your own. In the haphazard way that spiritual abilities are addressed in our society, it can take many years or decades before an empath is able to navigate through life In a grounded, balanced way. My guest today, Adrian Taffender, didn't really ground in his own empathic abilities until his early 40s. That's not uncommon. In my orbit, in which psychics, empaths, and energy healers fill the skies in a dense cloud, Adrian's capabilities are particularly notable. He can tune into other people with remarkable precision. As we discuss, Adrian can pick up on your somatic sense of knowing about what is true for you at the most basic level and use that information in a healing process that he's called subconscious surgery to help you remove deep blockages and connect to your higher self. I can personally attest to the accuracy of Adrian's readings and the effectiveness of his clearings. In this episode, we also talk about how Adrian developed this modality which I find fascinating, including his story of studying empathic reading techniques with Dr. John, the man who trained Jack Canfield, he of Chicken Soup of the Soul. We're at the horizon of a panoply of new practices that bridge psychic and empathic modalities with other forms that help people to ultimately heal themselves. Our whole notion of how healing happens is being transformed. There are forces in play that we're only starting to recognize. We're seeing how well they work. The science will inevitably follow. Everyone seems to be talking about CBD these days, that is, cannabidiol, the non-psychoactive component of cannabis. The buzz is that CBD doesn't make you high, like THC does. But for conditions such as stress and anxiety, health professionals are increasingly recommending it as an alternative to pharmaceuticals. And scientific research is showing that CBD is highly anti-inflammatory so it can help with pain relief. What does the scientific research say about CBD? Research centers in the United States and elsewhere are studying the effects of CBD on a variety of ailments. Scientists refer to CBD as a promiscuous compound because it offers therapeutic benefits in many different ways while tapping into how we function physiologically and biologically on a deep level. Extensive preclinical research and some clinical studies have shown that CBD has strong antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, antidepressant, antipsychotic, and neuroprotective qualities. What's the best way to take CBD? CBD CBD-rich cannabis oil products can be taken sublingually, orally as edibles, lozenges, beverages, tinctures, and gel caps, or applied topically. Concentrated cannabis oil extracts can also be heated and inhaled with a vape pen. Inhalation is good for treating acute symptoms that require immediate attention. The effects can be felt within a minute or two and typically last for a couple of hours. The effects of orally administered CBD-rich cannabis oil can last for four hours or more, but the onset of effects is much slower, like 30 to 90 minutes, than inhalation. Evolver is the proud papa of the Alchemist kitchen a botanical dispensary located in the Bowery District of New York, where you can find the finest quality CBD products available without THC. We also make our own premium CBD under the Plant Alchemy label. Our producer Jose's mom uses it for stress, anxiety, and high blood pressure. Our plants are grown in both field and greenhouse environments. Cultivated using living soil organic principles, leveraging strictly organic inputs, and in full compliance with the controls defined by the Colorado Department of Agriculture. Our plants are some of the highest CBD cannabis varieties currently known. You can find out more about CBD by visiting the Alchemist Kitchen website at thealchemistskitchen.com. There's an S in there. And searching for CBD. There are articles on the blog, an FAQ, and a selection of vetted products or stop by our spot at 21 East 1st Street in Manhattan between Bowery and 2nd Avenue and talk to one of our staff herbalists. At the shop, tell them you listen to the Evolver podcast and receive a 10% discount on any product on the shelves. You have this incredible ability to tune in to the person you're talking to. Mm -hmm. And I can see how as you meet people, that becomes a, 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 how should I put it? I can sense
1: people on a very deep level. And, I, and you know, it's been, I've switched it on and off throughout my life because of various experiences. And, you know, it. my, my first kind of recollection of me being able to sense people was, you know, when I was five years old, um... It was a guy who was fast asleep in the middle of a park. And I heard him ask me to wake him up.
0: You just heard it like mentally?
1: Yes. Bang. It was a voice in my head. And there was nobody else around me. Mm. And, you know, the strange thing was is several hours before I'd walked across to this the park with swings and I walk across a big field. And it was it was middle of summer, really hot it was completely full people playing you know frisbee and football and having picnics and I remember seeing him for some reason you know I don't know why he came out to me but he was lying down in the middle of the park and several hours later the park had cleared and he was pretty much the only one left and I was walking back and I, I was probably about 20 meters from him and I had this wake me up so I kind of walked over to him and said excuse me mister you know do you need to wake up and I kind of Kept saying that until he kind of woke up and came round and he rubbed his eyes and was like kind of a bit bleary and looked at his watch and went, oh, my God, I've got a date in five minutes. If I run now, I'm going to make it. Oh, thank you so much. I can't believe you just woke me up. That's brilliant. And he gave me 50 pence. Pretty good. Now, this was 41 years ago. Wow. So this is like someone giving you probably 10 or $15, you know, uh, today. You know, it was a big chunk of change. Right, and when you're five years old, any chunk of change is a big chunk of change. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, for a right. penny, you could get 10 sweets back then, you know oh what I mean? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I went running home, and again, this is where another big bit of programming got instilled into me. I ran home to my dad. And I went, Daddy, Daddy, look, this is what this mister gave me in the park for being a good boy. <laughs> yeah oh my god my dad was like what did he do to you are you alright what did he do I'm gonna fucking kill him wow and he grabbed the 50 pence off me and nearly tore the hinges off the door running out of the door
0: you must have been blown away
1: well so I upset. felt so upset yeah I felt that he was gonna kill him
0: <gasps> wow
1: you know my dad was a violent man you know part of the reason why my empathic ability got a- uh, activated was when I was three years old when he was violent towards my mother and your heart feels are synchronized in the womb. So the connection, emotional connection with your mother's incredibly strong. So I wanted to make sure she was always safe. So it heightened my empathic ability for that reason. Um, I didn't learn about this till many years, you know, over the last couple of years, really. I had two intuitives who did intuitive readings, kind of empaths, tell me it was the age three. My testing process told me it was age three. And... I understand that because that's when my mum split up with my father because of all of that. You know, so I kind of backwards engineered it and spoke to my mum about it and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I kind of understand it better. And then, you know, it was the five-year-old memory kind of got triggered by, you know, backwards engineering that as well. So I learned at that moment that I shouldn't take reward for using my gift and using my gift can get people hurt. So that actually stayed with me and, you know, caused challenges in my life for many, many years. And I mean, I only cleared it really in the last four years. When, you know, when I was like 10, 11, 12-ish, I I could read people. And I mean, I'd, I'd stand next to someone on a bus stop and I'd turn around and go, oh, your dad shouted at you this morning and said this, didn't he? You know, and I'd say, oh, I didn't mean it. You know, you just had an argument with your mum because of this. And the person would look at me like freaked out um, as if you've been looking through my window or something, you know. But it was what they needed to hear in that moment. You know, I was always, it was like I channeled what they needed to hear. Um, I, I, sometimes I'd be like, what, what the hell just came out of my mouth? I don't know what I just said.
0: Wow. And yeah. Does this happened fairly often or like more than... A dozen oh, times? Oh, or? oh,
1: regular, regular. Really? You know, and it got to the point where friends at school and things like that would be, oh, do it to them, do it to them, do it to them. And I got treated a little bit like a freak show. Right. And it was because of that I ended up kind of hiding it a bit. It was still there, still functional, um, but I just didn't. You know, verbalize it one thing that i 've done all my life just intuitively is kind of healed people, whether it 's just by giving them unconditional love um when they needed it or just giving them reassurance and saying exactly what they needed to hear to shift that feeling they had or misunderstanding or something like that you know i've, I've that's just been my gift um, and over the years i've just learnt more tools of how to be able to apply it and use it you know uh, on a safe basis because you know one thing that i've learnt as well is sometimes i will see something in somebody but it doesn't necessarily mean they're ready to hear it
0: how do you know what is it that you pick up that will help you understand what they're ready to hear
1: well i mean Over the last sort of like five years, I've been developing the subconscious surgery technique, um, which is using, you know, in essence, a form of muscle testing. I use the galvanic skin response. And so, I mean, I actually get uh, a twinge in my second chakra, in my stomach, right? Um, Which coincides with the, you know, the muscle testing. So I'm getting to the point where I, I kind of don't really need it. And, you know, I, I I recollect that that was kind of the feelings that I got when I was younger. But as I grew up, I kind of, you know, society, you know, this is all rubbish. This doesn't happen. You know, there's a lot of people that. Um, and also when you tell people stuff about themselves and they don't want to hear it, they attack the source of feedback.
0: Oh, well, yeah, for sure.
1: So as a sensitive empath, being attacked, you know, for attempting to help somebody, um, you know, can hurt a lot. Yeah. in many ways, if you haven't built up ways of protecting yourself.
0: So developing that way to protect yourself and even to understand yourself as an empath. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're a teenager, you were, where'd you grow up exactly? Where you were in, I was in Leeds. In Leeds, Northern England. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, not an environment with a lot of consciousness community activation. <laughs> not at all, no. <laughs> you know,
1: I was, I was literally completely by myself. Um, and, you know, really, I mean, when I was a teenager, um, one of the things that drove me is because, you know, all my life I'd seen people, how they act, but I've been able to feel and see deeply. Who they were, and they never matched. People always had this facade, this front, which were, they presented to the world, which was incongruent with who they were at a core level. It always confused me. And you know, in my life—I've just been trying to figure out humans, you know, and why they do these
0: things. Yeah, good fucking luck. <laughs> 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 so, but I mean, just to just to get at that for a bit, because your experience—I'm I'm, going to go into it because, frankly, I think it's a very common experience for people who have mm-hmm. these extraordinary sensitivities mm-hmm. and don't necessarily have a uh, context to make sense of them. Mm-hmm. And you're so available and open, but you're receiving so much of the suffering of the people who are around you. And you yourself are having a hard time finding a way to make sense of what it is that you're experiencing, because what you're, you're told is that you can't be experiencing what you are mhm yeah right that's it so there's a sense of you know essentially denial of your own deeply lived and intuitively grounded understanding like you can't you're being told essentially that what seems most true to you yeah is not true is not true yeah which is rough it's very discombobulating At what point were you able to start to, you know, find your way out of that complicated situation? So you start to and really give yourself the space you needed to understand what was happening for you. (sighs) I mean, I think I've done it in different
1: ways all my life. You know, I've I've in many ways been a, a loner. I enjoy my own company, and. You know, I'm a kind of um, uh, an introverted extrovert or is it an extroverted introvert? I'm not entirely sure which way around it is.
0: I think they both work.
1: Uh, Yeah, probably. (laughs) Really, you know, I know I keep kind of coming back to it, but this process over the last five years, which has kind of culminated into this process, what I call subconscious surgery, I, right at the beginning, I had to actually delete some of these deep, belief systems that had been installed into me by my uh, environments about my experience about my ability to do this I had conflicting beliefs I had this core you know uh, experience this understanding you know that I can do this and I do it on a regular basis and I keep doing it over over and over and over and over and over again yeah so evidence is abound and awash you know everywhere but I question it and didn't believe it, and you know, have this kind of weird thing that you know it can't be true. Five years ago, I had a big life-changing kind of event. I had a very successful uh, renewable energy company back in the UK. You know, I had twelve office staff. I had about ten fitters out on the road. Um, I'd built it in nine months to be doing two hundred thousand worth of sales a week, which is about nearly a quarter of a million in US. Um, I was making forty thousand. Uh, pound a week was probably about you know fifty fifty five thousand u s and you know things were going incredibly well and then the government decided in their government's own particular idiom to illegally reverse a policy which supported the industry, which rendered it illegal for us to trade
0: Oh boy yeah <laughs> okay, so you've got you've been building this business based on what you assumed were you know supportive government.
1: Yeah, you've Policy. got a similar structure in the US. Yeah, right. You know, they've got this subsidy. Use different language in the US, yeah. um, which supports it. So, if you get a solar system and install it, the government pays some of the electricity. So, it kind of pays your investment back because prior to that, it just wasn't financially viable, and they wanted to gain traction under the 2020 Kyoto Agreement about you know the CO2 and. Renewable energy rollout and everything like that, so they do that with a lot of industries to basically help the industry gain traction. But oh, well, they, they get... also
0: do it with the fossil fuels industry in order to keep it from uh, you know yeah, collapsing. I know. It's so contradictory, right. I mean, isn't yeah, it? And ways. they do it with factory farming in order to keep you know glyphosate in the uh, in the water system.
1: Out of the six thousand five hundred renewable energy companies that were operating at the time, three thousand four hundred went bankrupts within 3 months because of this policy change. Oh god. Okay. And I knew what they'd done was illegal and you know I had some very you know high up friends in the industry who were fighting it and they took the government to court and they won. But that was um that was about a month or so later and then the government, you know, actually um appealed. So we couldn't legally trade. Well, Basically, the problem was, is if we sold any systems and then the government won, it means we had to refund all our clients. But we legally couldn't take the equipment off their
0: house because that would be criminal damage. (laughs) Oh, geez. Okay, so you found yourself in a very tight spot.
1: Yes. So I had to basically, uh, you know, I I kept going as long as I could, but I had like 70,000 US a month going out on wages, on rent, on marketing and all this kind of stuff. So all the money that I'd made basically went. Attempting to make it until the, we, we, the policy kind of came back. But the policy did come back. But because of all the campaign about, you know, there's a main one, cut, don't kill. And all the people thought, oh, it's, it's ended. You know, it's all been destroyed. All the interest went. So the market never recovered. I, I had to go voluntary insolvent. Okay. And shut the company down, when you say vault, that's bankrupt, basically yeah. right that's right, okay. yeah. yeah, so it's a, it's not somebody right. comes in and bankrupts you you basically, I was a limited company, and one of the top totally compliance things is that if you are not in a financial position to move forwards, you 've got to declare it and you know not make yourself or you know, take on more debt or anything like that because you then, you know, that's a ba- you know you, you, it's a dishonest thing to do, you know, try and get other people's money to keep your business going. Um, so you've got to be honest and say, look, I'm in this situation and you go voluntary insolvent. You, you volunteer the situation. Right.
0: So you had this real kind of crash moment yeah. in and your at, own business. At the
1: same time, my girlfriend of 11 years, who the house and all our assets were in her name, um, decided to leave me and take it all with her.
0: Oh God! (laughs) So yeah, you were having a bad couple of weeks.
1: Oh, certainly was. And then at the time, my ex-wife was basically—you know—my son had asked to come and live with me. Um, He'd gone back and asked his mum if he could, and she went over her dead body. If it was up to me, you'd never see your dad again. Oh God! Which was, you know, a big. So that's all uh, that came up in in the in the same like month. All of that happened. So
0: you just had this massive crash. It was huge,
1: yeah. It was it was huge, and I mean, one redeeming factor is I took my ex-wife to court and won for residency and got residency on my son. All right. Um, but I literally overnight became a single parent on welfare. You call it? We call it benefits over there, with a hundred and nearly eighty thousand in debt because. <sighs> You know, my family, had, you know, i got investors, I, my family had put money in, you know, I'd make, I was making the business work. You know, it was just obviously outside influence. But then, you know, if we go back to what we're doing and this is kind of what I've learned over the process is this is part of a subconscious block I had towards business and money. So if you, yes, I could easily blame the government and blame the circumstances, but I chose to be there in that industry. And if we understand, you know, the level of consciousness as far as we've got a deep inner knowing connected to our Akash and that knows everything, including future events and probabilities, then my subconscious chose that route
0: knowing it was doomed to failure and would take
1: me through that experience.
0: And some people are t- taken through that kind of experience again and again and again. That's right,
1: yeah. And that's usually because they don't tackle the core belief that actually got them there in the first place.
0: So what was it that got you to actually get reflective at that moment, to start to look for an alternative well, to what was happening? I knew I
1: had something inside me because I'd, you know, I, I started my first business when I was 21, and my business partner ripped me off, Um, I've had seven businesses and several business partners have shafted me. Uh, One of them was my dad. Oh, God. Yeah. And this actually ties back to that moment when I was five years old about getting reward. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't the first time. I mean, my dad did it when I was 18. He sold me a car which was a complete wreck.
0: Oh, Jesus.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I went back to him and I was like, you know, I bought I paid 3,500 for this car and I was like 19 years old and I've and it and it needs 3,000s worth of work doing on it to make it safe and roadworthy. Um I've been told it's worth about 800 quid and he went, "Tough. You should have checked it out more thoroughly before you bought it." Ooh. And this was a guy who had just got a company car and was earning 180000 a year back then. Oh, my God. There are issues there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And again, I've got compassion because the process of this has helped me test that process and found out that, you know, we've got the five love languages you know i talk about the five love languages quite often you know if you go to fivelovelanguages.com you know you can be able to learn more about them and people who are acts of service see money as love so when they don't receive love in the way that they want to receive it which is having people do things for them they steal their money and when they see money as love because the money represents time and effort yeah He, in that exchange, felt he was giving me a valuable life lesson and doing me a big favor. He didn't see the part where, you know, it ripped me off financially. Right. You know, that wasn't part of his consciousness.
0: So this was his way of expressing love, tough love. Tough love. Yeah, very much so.
1: Yeah. The fact I felt wounded and I didn't speak to him for, I think, three or four years after that. Did he notice? Well, of course. Yeah. You know, it was a a big blow up. You know, I mean, there was other things involved as well, which, you know, I bought something else off him and that didn't work. And when I went back to him and he was as well, you must have broken it. And and I didn't, you know, it was. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, but the thing is, is, you know, every experience we have we're co-creators we attract into our life for a reason to highlight and trigger some either growth which is the the ultimate you know trajectory coming from the experience or if you attack that from a space of fear and loss then you perpetuate that experience you attract it again because the universe will keep giving you that experience over and over and over and over and over again until you learn the lesson
0: you have this intuitive deeply connected awareness of what feels like a fundamental truth to reality mm-hmm. which resonates very strongly with this idea of say the akashic record or mm-hmm. the kind of morphic field that uh, rupert sheldrake writes about yeah or and
1: source it, energy which abraham hicks talks about and channels talk about
0: right exactly you know, and there's all these different the ways of approaching it you know that that capture this sense that there is a a fundamental awareness truth consciousness that is shared that is available when you learn how to tune in yes absolutely everybody's got access to this When did you begin to do your own deeper inner work, and how did that kick off?
1: So, after a year of getting residency with my son, and my ex really doing a lot of emotional stuff with him, attempting to get him back, um, it got to a point where he felt guilty that he had to go back and look after his mother uh he was only you know thirteen years old at the time
0: um
1: coming up to fourteen, and she was you know you know taking me to court to see if she could get him back as well, and it was all up in the air and I saw the film The secret and that was probably one of the the kind of pivotal points for me because I researched the 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 people on The Secret, and you know, it was Jack Canfield, which kind of resonated with me the most. And I looked at his stuff on YouTube. Um, and he was having his training program called Train the Trainer, it's a year long program. Kean was like, You know, I, I just want to know where I'm going to live because you know, he's living with me, but his mum's you know got this vitriolic pursuit about getting him back and um i mean i won't go into detail but she was you know putting some very emotional pulling his heartstrings in in just awful ways um and i got to the point where i sensed you know him going back was what was the thing that was going to happen but the court date wasn't until april i just sensed that you know, I've got to do something here. I can't stretch this out till April. So when I um, drove him to his mother's to drop him off for Christmas, that's when I said, look, I'm bringing him back and, you know, he's going to live here. And, you know, we're going to have a trial of him moving back in. And he broke down into tears. And, you know, it was like a big release for him. And I saw it was that moment where I realized yeah, I've, just done, I've done the right thing, you know, in this moment. Mm-hmm. And it was probably one of the single hardest things I have had to do. I basically gave them 200 pounds of the 300 pounds I had and said, look, I just want you to have an amazing Christmas, enjoy yourself, you know. Um, and then I drove back home, and I, and I kind of uh, watched The Secret again, and then I did some research on Jack, and, you know, I decided, right, at that moment, I'm going to do this Train the Train the program. You know, it was $18,000 plus flights, plus uh, accommodation. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but if the law of attraction is real, I'm going to test it. Uh-huh. So I decided that was in that moment. Right. I'm not going to start another business until I've got rid of this crap that's in me. Yeah, it's pointless. Right. My experience is, is that I keep perpetuating this program. And I haven't, I know it's there, but I haven't been able to figure out what the hell it is. I've got the evidence of it, but not the, you know, substance. And I was like, you know, and I've read all this law of attraction and, you know, positive thinking and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, I, I'm, I'm going to put this to the test. So I'm going to dedicate my life. I'm going to set the intention. I'm going to follow all the principles. I'm going to practice all the things that they teach. And if it works, if it's true, then I'll go on this training course, even though I've got 100 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and In reality, I can't afford it. Uh-huh. And I even wrote to them, and I, you know, I like think I've still got the the email where I wrote to them, explaining my situation. Um, and like, you know, I said, "Well, look, I'm going to follow the success principles, which was his book, the Success Principles. I'm going to follow these, and if it's meant to be, I'm going to I'm going to attend." Great. And just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff happened. Like what? <sighs> I mean. You know, I initially, you know, sold some personal items that I had. Um, you know, I got gifted some money out of the blue out from family. I mean, when I booked, I mean, one was uh, if you book the course and pay the 18,000 up front. Yeah, they give you free accommodation for the first uh, leg of the training because it was split up into um, three separate trainings, different times of the year, with a week training. So you got free accommodation on on the first leg. So I managed to get the the payment up for the first deposit to pay, you know, um, in chunks that they had a payment split payment program.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I got the email back, they were like, oh, you know, thank you very much for subscribing and everything like that. You know, um, here's, you, you get your free accommodation. And I was like, whoa, that's incredible. So I wrote back to them saying, thank you very much. You know, and I thought it was because they were, had compassion towards my situation and, you know, they were just helping me out. They just, by accident, sent me the wrong email. <laughs> they wrote back saying, look, um, I sent you the wrong email. I'm really, really sorry, but I'm going to honor it, you know. Wow. I know, right? There you go. That's the gift. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. was the law of attraction for me. That was, you know, because it's not about getting the money. It's about resources, Right. Yeah? Yeah. So I ended up going to America, and that was when that um, first date thing happened, where the Ah. the, uh, Latino uh, lady, and, you know, that kind of where I I kind of rejected that. I attracted it. It was on the plane. I asked for it, and then it came to me. So you're taking
0: this course at Canfield. That was valuable to you?
1: Well... It was incredibly valuable because on the second leg of the training, um, when I went back in, Jack introduced me to one of his mentors, a guy called Dr. John. and
0: Not the extraordinary jazzy pop singer-musician, no. Dr. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a very very interesting, quirky individual um, who was a chiropractor and who developed this technique um, using kinesiology, psychokinesiology. Muscle testing. Ah, yeah. And Jack had met him many years previous. In fact, he met him when he was a, a, in the process of launching Chicken Soup for the Soul. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he'd been to 130-odd publishers and been rejected. They were like, nobody wants a book of short stories. Nobody would be interested in that. And they were like, you know, shooting him down all the time and he couldn't figure out why, because he knew, you know, he had this inner confidence that the book was, a, you know, a winner. And he met Dr. John. John att- attended one of his training kind of programs and said, you know, he's got this technique, and he was like, oh, let's have a go of it. So he gave Jack a session. And during the session, he identified that Jack had a belief system that he should not earn more than $2 million a year because his father will reject him. Whoa. Yeah, it was crazy. And Jack was like, oh, that's really weird. He says, for the last 10 years, I've been just below 2 million. I've been like 1.7, 1.9, 1.8, 1.9, 1.7, 1.8. For 10 years, it was like 2 million was a magic ceiling that I just could not break. Right? So intrigued, he kind of went further. And what it was is his father had a contentious issue with mega wealthy people. He thought they were all obnoxious uh, that just they're... wanted to rip people off. And then you look at, you know, some of the big chains that, you know, probably not to name a few, maybe. Um, they put people on minimum contract hours, minimum wage to get subsidies off the government to support the business and earn billions. Yeah. yeah? You know, I,
0: that's definitely out there. It is, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So he
1: had got this association with the mega wealthy with that kind of thing. And Jack's deep subconscious mind was wanting to protect himself because he didn't want his father to think that of him. Whereas Jack's conscious mind was like, well, if I earn this money, then I can show my dad that good people can do it. And benevolent souls can do good with the money. Yeah. Right. But that had blocked him. So using this technique, you know, um, what he did, he removed the block. Three weeks later, he got a 65 million contract for Chicken Soup for the Soul.
0: Crazy. Yeah. His next publisher. So you were working with Dr. John.
1: Well, when I heard this story, I was like, I've got to work with Dr. John. You know, I want to learn how to do this. So I went and spoke to Dr. John. I told him my situation. I said, look, I'm still paying off this training. I can't afford to work with you, but I know I have to. I've got these goals. I, you know, I told him about the things because all I want to do is, you know, heal millions. You know, that's what I've dedicated my life to do. It's not really for personal gain or anything like that. It's to, you know, take it out to the world. And, you know, this has been my calling, you know, I felt for many years. And he did some testing on me. And he, you know, in his words, he went, you've got a light inside you which is about to explode. You're going to achieve all of these things and more, you know. I, I, you know, I'll sponsor you, no problems. I'm, you know, I'm happy to do that. And we, So
0: what kind of testing did he do? But the muscle testing,
1: I don't know, he did it in silence. But okay, So, <laughs> so he was asking me questions, my yes. body, you know, uh-huh. through the muscle testing. Um, in essence, you know, am I talking the truth? Am I honest? Am, you know, am I going to achieve these things? Do I have blocks? You know, am I somebody worth testing, uh, c- worth teaching, worth helping? And all of them came out absolutely. Um, so I ended up working with him for about a year. How did that go? What was that like? It was intense because, you know, through that process, he was getting into the core of my belief system.
0: Tell us about who is Dr. John? What does he look like? How does he operate? Like, what does he... Yeah, you get a sense of like who this guy is. I know he's, nothing about him.
1: He's a he's a lovely, lovely guy, but very, very quirky. You know, he's got a kind of um, a lazy eye, and he's kind of uh, he's got a bit of a limp, and you know, and is is you know kind of shortish and a little bit scrawny. Wears glasses, you know, slightly balding, but you know, I like, you know mousy brown hair and. When you get to know him, he's just an amazing guy. he really is. He's, he's a fabulous guy to know and uh, very intelligent and, um, but he's a deep empath as well. So he does the remote testing, you know okay, so he can that- do the physical testing, but he can do it no matter where you are in the world.
0: So can you actually talk me through the testing? When you say he does the test like exactly how do you do that? So the the this the
1: basic simple method is physical kinesiology. So what you do is you deflect a muscle. Yeah. Most people, you know, um Kind of for show purposes, you stick your arm out at a right angle, um, parallel to the floor, and then someone pushes down on your wrist. And the person being tested resists as hard as they can someone pushing them down.
0: And, ba- and while they are answering a question?
1: Well, you, you just or... get a baseline first. You just okay. push. Ah, okay, great. Yeah? Right, right. Just to see how strong they are. And you don't want to hurt them. You don't want to overpower them. You just kind of get that where it's starting to get tough and they're resisting, but you're, you know, you're not overpowering them. And then you can do some simple calibrations like, you know, my name's Adrian. Yeah. So if it's the truth. My name is Adrian. So if somebody, I go, my name is Adrian. And at the end of the sentence, this is the key part. You've got to make sure you're relaxed up until the point you finish the sentence and then you push. Yeah. And that should be good and strong. Now, if you do another test and you say, my name is Francesca. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wrong. And what we're kind of measuring here, what I understand is the process, is in your language center in the left Hemisphere, the language center gets confused. It has a thing called cognitive dissonance. It's like an algorithmic conflict. It's like, hang on a minute, that's wrong. Yeah. And that confusion delays the signal to the motor cortex, and it puts you into fight or flight and physically weakens you.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've got oh. videos on my YouTube channel where I demonstrate this. Okay. And people are, like, freaked out because it's so obvious. You know, it's night and day between the two quite often. With some people, it depends on hydration and all sorts of things and what noise they've got going on in their heads. You know, we can have different levels of sensitivity. Um, but once you get calibrated and you get set up, you can, you know, it's obvious between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you can literally ask a question of your body, and your body knows best. You know, all of this is stored in your like internal hard drive, but the problem is, is the interface to your uh, monitor and output speakers, your you know, eyes and your mouth, um, is a little bit dysfunctional. So, the reason why it's subconscious, sub means below, conscious means your awareness. So, all these things are below your awareness.
0: So, it's one thing for me to go, okay, my name is Francesca, and... I have a little zap kind of cognitive dissonance thing happen and my arm is not is firmly in place and yep. you can push it down. Yes. Right. It's another thing for me to say um let's say uh I'm going to win the Indy 500.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you that's a slightly different what you would do in that circumstances is um my confidence in winning the Indy 500. At a scale of one to 10, 10 being I am 100% confident at winning the Indy 500, right? One being I am absolutely zero confidence in winning the Indy 500. You can then test up on that scale. So i up to 10%, and you'll be strong, up to 20%. I'm strong, up to 40%, I'm strong, up to 50%, 60%. At some point, you'll go weak. Got it. Yeah, because right. that then becomes a lie. Yes. So if you, you know, like, are going to start a business and say I am, I am one hundred percent confident, I've got the skill, the talent, and skills and ability to build this business, and you go weak at fifty percent at five, yeah, which means then the the way it will reflect in your reality is half of the time you'll be like confident, and half of the time you'll be like I can't do this, yeah. It's reflected in your internal dialogue. Yeah. And when I measure people on those scales and they, they, their muscle goes weak and 99% of the time they go, yeah, yeah, that's about right, actually.
0: <laughs> but so then the, all you, what you're doing there is measuring what somebody's real sense of their own capabilities are. Yes. I f- have had the experience with you where you're also measuring things that are independent from my own understanding of myself.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, ego you've got to look plays a part in this. So if I said to that same person, score a score of one to 10, how do you believe they have got the skills, the talent and everything to build this business? Well, they're building the business and they'll go, yeah, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. No problems at all. I could do this. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had a very interesting situation with a client and basically there were two businessmen. They ran separate businesses that were very, had a lot of synergy. They were in the same industry, had, you know, worked with each other. One guy was looking to retire. The other guy was young, younger and, you know, still looking to develop businesses and things like that. So they came up to a, an agreement between each other where he'd give them a target. If you build the business to this level, I'll give you this equity in the company. Yeah. And you kind of take it over as such. And it was a, eight, a two-year agreement. They were six months into it. And they got nowhere. And I was working with this, uh, the guy was retiring on other things. And he was like, can you help us with this situation? I was like, yeah, sure. So I I literally got them in physically together and sat with them. And, you know, I said to the guy, I says, right. I says, we're 18 months, uh, six months into it. You've got 18 months left. On a scale of one to 10, what's your confidence of still hitting that target within the 18 months? And he went, oh, 10 out of 10. Absolutely, 100%. I'm a businessman. I've done this thing for years, right? Absolutely no problems at all. You know, I've run successful businesses and, you know, I was like, great. I mean, I'd already written the answer down. I knew what it was (laughs) because I'd done the testing. Um, And I did it with him. I said, right, okay, let's muscle test it. Yeah. He tested a two. Ooh. Three times. He would Ah, do it again. Oh, my God. Right? Went weak. Two or three times. Right? And then he took a deep breath and went, do you know what? That's right. No, it's right. Yeah. If I'm honest, yeah. And he totally capitulated. So his ego at first was like, you know, I want to help my friend. I want to do this. You know, I've got to do this. I feel obliged to do this. So I've got to say it's a 10. Yeah. Right. But when he was faced with his own body telling him, no, it's not, he then, as I say, just totally resided into the fact that actually, yeah, this is this is where I am.
0: So once that has been established, you're then in a position to identify where the blockages are. <laughs> Either the blockages or the most optimum route. Yeah. So we tested
1: whether actually this deal was a good deal, whether it's structured correctly, whether it serves them, whether it's doing the best thing for them individually. And the ultimate answer was no. Now, the interesting thing is for the last six months, both of their businesses had kind of stagnated a little bit. Yeah. And their own individual businesses had kind of reduced in sales and this, that and the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, based on that, they decided to dissolve the the, the the partnership, the the deal, right, and just refocus back on what they were doing. Within a month, everything shot back up. Everything was back to normal, and again, it was just the energy, you know, because it's all an energy thing, you know. And when you start connecting things together that don't work, it affects many things.
0: So, this testing technique is what you learned from Doctor John.
1: Yes, yes.
0: The muscle testing the muscle and the self testing.
1: testing and the remote testing, and so and and re- some of
0: the framework remote testing is
1: well, the remote testing is basically what I can do is, as I've said, you know, if I, if I say something as if I am you, my body reacts as if it's yours because we're all one, there is no separation, separation is an illusion. Yeah. Because I'm an empath, I can physically feel your emotional reactions. So what I do is I frame a question as if I'm you, my body reacts as if it's you, and because I feel that, I
0: know the answer. You've done this with me many times, which has freaked me out. Where, <laughs> you know, we essentially will go through the, the, the muscle testing thing, we'll arrive at a number, you will have already written the number down before we started the muscle, before you actually had the the my arm up or down. Yeah. Because you knew it yes. somehow. And
1: I've got videos on, again, on YouTube where yeah. I do this with people's financial limit, um, love languages and all sorts, you know, 100% accuracy. I can literally write an answer down for somebody and then bring them up, physically muscle test them and get exactly the same answer each and every time.
0: Yeah. You then develop the technique, as you mentioned before, of being able to clear yeah. Subcon- what you're calling subconscious surgery. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, how did that emerge for you?
1: So, again, you know, um, the, the sort of like the basic tools that I learned from working with Dr. John and how he does it. And I then sort of like, well, he does it this way and that way and this way. You know, are they the best ways? I'm kind of a scientist in, in some ways, uh, you know, in my methodology. So, I test things. So, I spent three years. Acid testing this you know in various ways
0: now what is this? What was the objective the, the The objective was to in essence, create
1: a more effective, elegant way of doing it doing clearing blocks, testing people, finding out information
0: yeah it was all the same thing because that's why because it seems like you started by. Getting the information. Yes. The first first thing is getting the information. And then at a certain point, you discovered that, in fact, it's possible to clear the blocks. Well, he did at the same time. Jack did. uh, Not Jack. John. Dr. John. Dr. John did. Yes. How did he do it?
1: So, I mean, we use some simple tools, right? One is tapping on the stomach meridian. So everybody's heard of EFT. Yeah. Um, They use a whole different set of uh, meridian points um, where I only use the stomach meridian. I use Pythagorean um, tuning forks for sound. Yeah. Uh, Pythagoras found that there were certain frequencies that are healing effects on the body. He was one of the first scientists to document this and research it. We've since found out that the harmonics in our brain are in Pythagorean tuning. The Schumann resonance is in Pythagorean tuning. All of nature uh, is in Pythagorean tuning. In my research, I found all the sound healing modalities around the world that Tibetan, um, you know, singing bowls, shamanic chanting, Mongolian throat singing, Chinese gongs, all this kind of stuff are all in Pythagorean tuning, all tuned by ear by different civilizations, but all in the same spectrum using 432 hertz as A.
0: So, you and, and, and how would you use it in a healing modality context? So,
1: the most important bit in the whole process is the language. Language shapes us. Yeah. We are what we speak. You know, everybody's heard of the word abracadabra. Yeah. yeah. But not many people know it's direct translation. Abracadabra means I create what I speak. In what language? Aramaic. I should have known. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, this is what the law of attraction talks about all the time. You know, whatever, whatever your internal dialogue, you know, whatever you predominantly, you know, uh, talk, you talk into existence.
0: Yeah? Well, th- absolutely. This, this, I, you find so many different ways back to this reality mm-hmm. of how language shapes the construction of the material world as yes. to say intention does and how one expresses intention exactly it's exactly. the power of intention mm-hmm. it really is yeah. um, but you know i also have to say for myself that i'm a bit allergic to a lot of the secret stuff in the sense that it can present yeah the law of attraction type thing in a very simplistic way mm-hmm. that suggests that really you don't have to go through a lot of trouble in no. order to attract to you the things that you quote unquote deserve mm-hmm. and it doesn't challenge your notion of what is it that you truly want Mm -hmm. or truly um, are in uh, resonance with Mm -hmm. that will enable you to go further in your own personal development. And it's more like a lot of people take it as you want the Mercedes, you can get the Mercedes. It's all materialistic, yeah, in many ways as well.
1: So but the, the one thing that I found, and this is the real fundamental, because everybody has affirmations and things like that. And I use affirmations as part of the process. I custom design them. I test them you know, to people's you know, personal needs. Um, but I found that they don't work unless you have removed the fundamental blocking belief system, which is counteracting it. Yeah, So if you've got a worth issue which says, you know, you've been brought up, you know, by a family which have never owned a Mercedes, yeah, and, you know, you've had a father that said, oh, you'll never amount to anything, you're useless, or you've had school teachers which said, oh, you just don't, you know, put the effort in, and that's because you are right-brained and creative and they're talking about maths, Yeah. So, you know, where people don't have innate skills in, and schooling wants you to be good at everything, and you can't be. Nobody can be. I mean, this is one of the big challenges with education. It's not education. You know, education comes from the ancient Latin word educo, which means to bring out from within, to induce and, you know, bring out. But that's not what we do. We batter in. So we've got all this conditioning, which tells us we shouldn't be this kind of person, we shouldn't be that kind of person, we can't do this, we can't do that, um, we're not worthy, you know. And if that is fundamentally there, no amount of affirmations and things like that is going to break through it. You've got to get that core belief system out. And when you do, I mean, Jack Canfield, one of his um, success principles, he talks about uh, a principle called, you know, he release the brakes. You know, the the analogy he uses is that if you're in a car, you know, and you've got your handbrake on and you're trying to drive off somewhere, you don't push the gas pedal harder, yeah, which is a lot of coaches and things like that. Yeah, you've got to work hard, you've got to do this, you've got to push and, you know, be aggressive. Where it's not, it's actually if you take the handbrake off, you're going to go a lot faster than putting the gas pedal harder. So that is the fundamental thing, and that's what I was looking for. So using this technique and, as I say, how we get to the language now, I I totally construct differently than I was taught. Um, I found it's more efficient. It it, um, gets more done in one session instead of lots of little different um, uh, phrases. I use one, like, big, long paragraph sentence, Um, you know, how I... Use the testing process. The process of getting there is completely different. Okay, so let
0: me so let me just put this out there. Mm. Uh, had you told me a few years ago that you are capable of connecting with me in such a way, um, remotely, <laughs> where a blockage could not only be identified because the identification part, I can walk down that path pretty far with you, and go, oh, you are as an empath able to really read the blockage which I am frankly not consciously aware of because of all the different things in my life that have kept me from looking deeply at myself in that way. Mm -hmm. And you can notice what those things are and perhaps even uh, get me to acknowledge that that's really happening for me. Mm -hmm. To go from that to now that we know what that thing is, we can release it, Mm -hmm. which is what the purpose of Psychoanalysis and therapeutic practices of all kinds, and which you know generally take quite a bit of time, mm-hmm. right? To go, that you are able to do that through this kind of remote process. Yes, is I know. A, a bit of a mindfuck. So completely. Can you explain to me really what's going on with that? And what it is. Just talk briefly about what it is that you do, mm-hmm. and then why would it work?
1: Well, I mean, again, it's just, the it's the illusion of separation. You know, I mean, I i had a client in Australia and I was in the UK and I told her things about herself which she'd never told anybody in her whole life. And she, you know, one of them was actually she felt um, that she wasn't a member of her own family, right? You know, she had a bit of a, a challenge going on and, you know, I was like, you do, you don't feel like, actually you almost feel like you were adopted don't you and she kind of went why do you say that right and we'd literally been only talking five minutes at that time right and she was like i can't believe you've just said that and we went on you know i don't know anything about a family but then she was like i've got blonde hair they've got brown hair i've got blue eyes they've got brown eyes right all my life i have felt like i was adopted And she hadn't said anything to do with it. Right. You know, I mean, there was another one. One lady was in the same position, one of my clients. She couldn't figure out how I could test her remotely. And she would drive a four-hour round trip to come and do a one-hour session. You know, it was I mean, she found it that amazing. She'd prepared to take the whole day off, four-hour journey, just have one session. And it can be quite energetic and, you know, discombobulating. It can sometimes you have to lie down and have a rest afterwards because it's, you know, quite tiring. Um, when you Because I shift things so much and so quickly, you know, you've got to kind of reset the system. And one day uh, she rang up three hours before a session, you know, on the Monday morning. She says, I- I'm not going to be able to make it today. My shoulder's frozen. I can't even move it. I'm not going to be able to drive. And I said, well, because I deal with psychosomatic symptoms. And I says, well, that's probably a good reason why we should have a subconscious surgery session today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I says, I tell you what, right, we don't, we've never had a session remotely over Skype, right? I says, why did we've both booked the time off. We're both, you know, available. Why don't we do it? If you get no benefit at all, i tell you what, I won't count it as a session. Yeah? We've got nothing to lose. She was like, okay, go on then, sod it. Yeah? And then the right shoulder is about financial. Yeah? It's about bearing burdens, And when I started getting into it, I literally, because that's all I got and I did the testing. She didn't tell me anymore and I described the whole situation that she was going through with a friend. She was like, oh, how, how do you know? And she was like, yeah, I'm going through this, and this has happened. That happened yesterday. And I was like, right, that's the reason why. So I constructed the language. We started processing it out. And she said, halfway through the processing, which is repeating this statement over and over again while tapping on the stomach meridian and having these sound frequencies, I test the chakras, which ones weakened. She said, half. Her shoulder started tingling, and by the end of it, fifty percent of the pain had gone. And by the end of the day, all the pain had gone, and she could move her shoulder perfectly normally.
0: So, what you're doing in the subconscious surgery session is you are somehow tuning in to the hurt.
1: Yeah, I then look at. I mean, I use various um, resources. Louise Hayes done a lot of research about it. There's a book called Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. Um, And, you know, various other books. Um, There's an ancient uh, Chinese uh, modality which actually attributes language to every single part of your body. And when I was over in China, you know, kind of learning about it and checking these references, they were all identical. They all matched.
0: You know what I mean? Matching the... The books, the the same language, yes, across
1: the books, the Chinese language, and Mm -hmm. they were translating it for me, and everything was, even each individual finger and everything, yeah? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we look at the knees, it's about being flexible, if it's about the hips, it's about feeling supported, your liver's about anger, you know, so all different parts of your body have different language attached to it, yeah? So what I do is I scan the body, find out where this emotional belief system's stored in your body, I then look up, right, what's the language there? So I've got a list of Three or 10 components. I then test each component individually to that person, find out which pertains to them. That then gives me lots of snippets of information. I then rearrange that language into a statement that reflects the pain. Now, the biggest feedback that I get from my clients is I felt like that all my life and I've never been able to put it into words until now. You've just described it, you know, in a way that I couldn't. So, that's the key is the description language shapes us. So, once you've got the language which triggers that emotion, and a lot of people, when I come out with a statement, they're like, oh my God, yeah, I feel that. You know, um, I, I, they resonate with it, they relate to it, and they almost feel that kind of resistance and trigger. Um, but then we need to process it out. So, the tapping on the, you know, we, we know EFT disassociates uh, emotions. From your system, the sound healing then disassociates it from your biofield. Yeah, so there's different layers which basically you know make it permanent and lasting.
0: That's very powerful. So you develop, you learn this. I learned the basic f- tools from the Doctor John, and then, and you then went spent around the world three
1: years, basically testing all the different components and the routes to it are totally different now. I don't use the same technique as him. Um, the tapping I use, the sound healing I use, some of the references I use, um, but the, the way I construct the language is, is different and I get quicker results now than I did when I first started.
0: And you feel you can teach other people to do this?
1: I've actually already taught uh, somebody back in the UK. He was a life coach. Um, you know, I met him networking and I told him what I did. You know, I, I removed people's blocks, and he went, oh, God, I've heard hundreds of people say they can do that. I haven't met one yet that can do it. But i tell you what, I'll have a session from you, and if you can, I've got loads of clients which uh, i have got blocks, and I, I can't get them past. So I, um, in his first session, I actually hit one of his major blocks and he was just blown away because I told him how old he was when it started, who it was and all sorts. And they just like, oh my God, I know exactly what that is. Uh, and then we shifted it and he felt completely different. And then he signed up to have, um, I did a, at the time a eight session program, um as a starter and he did that, loved it so much. She then paid me my ten K um training program, which was a year long training programme, where I worked with him on a regular basis and trained him and taught him how to do it. And this was me figuring out, because, you know, Dr. John, I'm the only person he's ever taught. Oh, really? Um, He hasn't been able to teach anybody else. He says, you know, in his words, he said, people just, you know, want to be trained, but I find that all they want to do is spend a lot of time with me to get healed. They never really wanted to be trained to use it. Fascinating. So I taught him, and now he uses it in his coaching practice, you know, um... Very successfully. In fact, my son had a, um, a, a an emotional thing that he wanted to cover, and it wasn't really appropriate for me to work with it. Um, and I put him on to, you know, um, him to do it, and he did a fabulous job of it. You know, he cleared it up, no problem. So, you know, he's. I, it's really transformed him and he's, you know, I've transformed him and his business. He's now earning a lot more and more successful and more confident and able to deliver a lot more value.
0: The The idea that somebody could learn how to do this um, is fascinating, that you could teach it to somebody else. Would they? And he need... wasn't
1: an empath as such. I was going to
0: ask, exactly. Yeah. So you, you don't have to be an empath necessarily no. to develop but, the sensitivity for this. Ultimately, everybody's an empath. That's fascinating. All children are empathic
1: between the age of two and about seven, which is when our core programming era is, you know, it was Aristotle that said, show me a boy of seven and I'll show you the man. 80 to 90% of our world view is established before we're seven years old. In fact, at seven, you know, grey matter starts developing your prefrontal cortex, your resonant frequencies start shifting in your brain, you come out of theta brainwave state, you start more alpha state and uh, um, beta and all that kind of stuff, and you change the way you process information, yeah? Because you've established your core beliefs. Right. So, but... Quite often, we shut down these mechanisms because, we don't, A, we don't need them anymore, but, B, we probably had them traumatized by bad parenting, bad schooling, being bullied, and all sorts. Um, so, everybody ultimately has it, but most people, 90%, to 90% of people, shut it down.
0: So, you can help to rekindle that yes. connection, that yes. awareness, through various strategies and practices yeah. and...
1: It's It's mainly removing all the traumas and the belief systems that have been conditioned to prevent them from believing it's true.
0: We've, as I mentioned, we've done this now together, now four times, working on different things that I was working to release. Uh, And it's been extraordinary. I mean, it really showed me a lot. And so what we've done is bring you on to the Evolver team Mm -hmm. to work with everybody. (laughs) And to work with us as a team to identify what these kinds of what issues might come up, mm-hmm. you know, as we develop as a group, and yeah. particularly as we develop as a company mm-hmm. with a particular mission, which is to hold space for people who are having consciousness awakening experiences. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, education and communication around that, and the Evolver Awakening platform, which was now. By the time this goes up on the internet, it'll be almost live. Mm-hmm. On Friday, April fifth, Evolver Awakening is live. And uh, you know, as you as you play around in this space, uh, you realize that you it's important to do your own work. Well, we have to
1: be evolving ourselves. Yes. You know, and I was Osho that said, if you want to heal the world, first you have to heal yourself. Yeah. You know, He's not the only one who said it. But, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but that's that's he coined that phrase. It's you know. a good one.
0: Yeah. Um, and so uh, we we have you know essentially uh, incorporated you into our own process where you're working with different team members on stuff, mm-hmm. and you're also testing. Uh, some of our communications. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it all kind of started off with, um, you know, going through the uh, the investment deck. Oh, God, right.
0: Thank God you did that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fine-tuning that, which kind of got us the money to actually launch the business.
0: Yeah, well, so now this is the thing that I wanted to ask because it's a little different than, say, testing my confidence about whether the investment deck is going to be a success. Yeah, it's totally different, yeah. Totally different. You could tell by reading through it and doing the testing for yourself whether or not the deck would be effective at convincing somebody who at that point was still even unnamed, yeah. Whether or not, uh, well, there was a few people. Oh no, I the, it It no, makes a difference if they're named. Yes. If yeah. you, if if they're essentially, if you're able to connect to them in the field, yeah, you can know that, that person will respond to this thing better. Yes. If you change it here, yeah, yeah.
1: And so I got a name, and I tested their receptivity to it. And when we did, it was quite low. And then I went through paragraph at a time, you know, to see which paragraph was kind of lowering that receptivity. And then I'd go through its sentence at a time. And I I, I mean, I wouldn't even turn around and say what it is in the sentence. I'd say this sentence here, you know, um, either remove it or modify it. And then it was you that would then kind of change it in a way and then come back to me and say I've changed it and then I test it again yeah and go oh yeah that's a 10 now you know before it was a 6
0: yeah it's a fascinating thing for me as a writer type kind of person to see how you could arrive at a conclusion without an opinion about content yes right it was actually somehow removed entirely from from the process it was just there's something here I don't know what it is exactly it's just all energy it's all energy make a fix let's try that yeah and then we go back and I would do something, and then bang, 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 we'd mm. work our way up.
1: And you've been kind of looking to get investment for uh,
0: quite some time. Well, this, this, there's, there was an adventure, as yeah. you, and you, we, <laughs> we don't get to need to go there th- right now, but we shared some of that adventure uh, for like six months mm. before more, a little more than six months yeah, before yeah. we found the right people to step in and, and really make the evolve awakening thing mm-hmm. for real. And we found the right people. I got to say, they've been extraordinary people. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing team. I love working with them all around. So, yeah. So, this, I'm so grateful to you to be, you know, have you on board with us as part of this effort. I'm so glad you were able to come through New York, stop in the studio.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. You know, I, I love working with you all, and you know, I the the one thing that resonates with me is what you're looking to achieve. It's you know very benevolent. It's very you know there's there's a, an awakening happening, and there really does need a community. And it kind of, in many ways, it creates something that I. Wanted to create and felt that I had to do, but actually you were doing it anyway. So being involved just, you know, is is a
0: complete blessing. That's sweet. And you will be teaching one of the classes, Cultivating Intention to Serve Your Higher Purpose. Yep. And you'll be doing a lecture essentially on this topic, Mm -hmm. leading people to, to go deeper in their understanding of the somatic awareness of truth. Yes. And how that can then inform your... Deliberate intention, yes, towards what it is in the world that is going to resonate for you mm-hmm. in a way that's going to help you go further in your in your development. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that one. It should be exciting. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> so, Adrian, how do people find you?
1: Um. Well, I mean. My website hasn't been kind of updated for uh, a couple of years. I'm in the process of uh, doing a lot of work on that at the moment, but um, I've got subconscioussurgery.com. Um, I've got a YouTube channel if you're putting subconscious surgery in YouTube. Um, you can watch some of my videos. You can see some of my testing. I've got a few testimonials on there. I've got loads of testimonials which I need to put online as well, so I'm kind of just in the process of updating all of that stuff. You can find me on Facebook, Adrian Taffinder. Um, I think there's only one Adrian Taffender, um, a.k.a. The Subconscious Surgeon. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Adrian Taffender. Um, again, it'll say The Subconscious Surgeon. And
0: they can text you that way? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being with us, man.
1: An absolute pleasure. I uh, really appreciate you, and I really appreciate you inviting me down.
0: I want to thank Adrian Taffender for joining us today and thank you too for being with us. You can learn more about what Adrian is up to on his website, on his Facebook page, and by paying close attention to the ether as it comes to you in all kinds of interesting ways in your dreams. Please stop by evolverawakening.com and check it out, learn more. Hopefully you will join us, let us know what you think, the first people who've been engaged with what we're doing have been getting us fantastic, very positive feedback. And um, we go live Friday, April 5th. Love to see you there. I want to thank our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the Acast team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, from his album The Secret Song. And our interstitial music are tracks by The Human Experience, Sunu from the album Soul Visions with Rising Appalachia, and here for a moment on the album gone gone beyond please check him out that's all for now we'll be back next week
2: find the others Hold up